What is up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow me on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com, which is always popping during the offseason. With that being said, let's get to the content. What's up, divers? Welcome in to the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast. I gotta say, I'm excited for this one. I really am, because I'm a competitive guy. I love the draft. I love trying to predict what's going to happen. And that's what this episode is. We are going through my predictive NFL mock draft. And I gotta say before we start, man, is this a whole new thing, a whole different thing than a regular mock draft where I'm just choosing who I would choose because when I'm doing a mock draft and thinking about who would I take at this position, yeah, it takes work and it's fun, but it doesn't take nearly as much research as it does when you're trying to predict what the other teams are doing. I'm going through all of the local websites of these other teams their beat writers, all the reports connecting them to players, where was their assistant GM, what people were they scouting, what person had their GM, their regular GM, at their pro days, what are their scouts saying, what are all of this stuff, and I'm trying to bring it all together in a condensed, quick, boom, 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 this is what I think is going to happen, and here's why, and we're going to get to it, I'm excited But before we start, remember, the goal of this mock draft is to predict what will happen, not what I want to happen or what I would do. And I'll probably end up clarifying that on some picks that I do not agree with, but I feel like that's probably what's going to happen. Usually the best mock drafts, every year I like to look at my mock drafts that I always do on paper for myself or do an article or whatever, and compare them to mock drafts that guys like Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, Peter Schrager, Mel Kuyper, all those guys that they wrote, and I like to see, hey, how did I do in my mock draft, my predictive mock draft, compared to them? Usually, the best of these guys get about five to seven player team matches correct in the first round, so that's what I'm trying to beat, right? And by five to seven team player matches, I mean predicting player A to team A. So I don't really care if, for example, let's say someone has Corey Davis going at, you know, just going back in the draft, has Corey Davis going at five to the Titans, and then turns out, this is not what happened, it's just an example, turns out they trade back three spots and get Corey Davis at eight. That's a hit for me because you predicted the right player to the right team. I don't really care what spot it happened at. So that's how I do my grading system. And usually about five to seven teams are matched with the correct player in the best of these guys' mock drafts. So that's what I'm shooting to beat. Let's get into it. The Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock. At one overall, they turned in the card. And of course, Trevor Lawrence is the pick from Clemson. This does not need any explaining. Let's move on. At two, the New York Jets are on the clock. Zach Wilson is the pick from Baylor. So there's talk right now about this pick not being a lock, as a lot of people think. And 
I personally think it should be Fields here. You guys know, most of you that are listening, that have been listening for a while, know that I'm a Fields guy. I like Fields as the second best quarterback in this class. Definitely above Zach Wilson. He's got a higher floor in my opinion. He's got a higher ceiling in my opinion. But I was researching the connection of Zach Wilson and the Jets and then Fields and the Jets. And what are the chances that they pivot from Wilson? It would surprise pretty much everyone if they did not take Wilson. And Zach Wilson himself has been talking to former Jets quarterbacks from the past asking, what's it like to play for the Jets? What's the city like? How's the media interact? What are some tips you can give me on how to handle being a New York Jet? So based off of that, he's probably been informed that he's the pick. Therefore, Zach Wilson to the Jets. Now at three, you guys know I have been going against the Mac Jones stuff this whole time. So did I finally flip over? No, sir. No, sir. Justin Fields is going to be the pick in my predictive mock draft at number three to the 49ers from Ohio State. Since they traded up, I have been on Fields. I said it's Lancer Fields, and after about a couple days, I locked it into Fields, and I still feel the same way. It's not that I'm too lazy to change. It's really I don't think I need to because why would they give up all that they did to move up for a quarterback with a lower floor and a lower ceiling than Justin Fields and is very similar to Jimmy Garoppolo, who they have, just healthier? Why do all of that? That's what picking Mac Jones over... Justin Fields would be, and I don't think that's the decision they're going to make. I don't think it's the decision they should make, and I believe that this front office knows what they're doing, and because they know what they're doing, they're going to take Justin Fields over Mac Jones. He's better in every single way. I expect them to do the right thing here and take him. Now, at four is when it starts to get really interesting. The Falcons, are they going to go quarterback? And, you know, put somebody behind Matt Ryan, set up the organization, and the team for future success? Or do they take a Kyle Pitts, a generational talent? Or do they try to trade back? I'm of the mindset that they're going to try to trade back or take a quarterback. Now, most people like to say, if I was the Falcons, I would take a quarterback. And I've been saying that as well. But then a lot of times when we're talking about predicting what the Falcons are going to do, most of us don't think they actually pull the trigger there. I'm starting to think that they will. Because Atlanta attended Trey Lance's second pro day, and Arthur Blank is apparently, according to Peter Schrager, apparently very fascinated with this quarterback class, and he thinks that Atlanta will not have a shot picking this high in the future, which is something I've been saying and a lot of other people have as well. It makes sense. You guys are picking at four. You guys just got a new regime in the in the front office. You've got a new uh, head coach. You've got new coordinators, all of this stuff, and you're probably not going to be bad enough to be picking top five. And this is also the best quarterback class in a long time. Next year's quarterback class not looking great, and 2023 is a long ways away. So it makes sense to try to grab the quarterback while you can, and so that's what I think they're going to do. Trey Lance is the pick at four. We got quarterbacks one through four. That would be absolutely insane. Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. Now, at five, the big debate is Penay Sewell or Jamar Chase for the Bengals. You guys know I think they should take Penay Sewell. You've got to protect Joe Burrow. We saw what happened to Pat Mahomes in the Super Bowl, and this is going to be a talking point for me in this mock draft because the NFL is a reactionary league. So you're going to hear that a couple more times, but 
You need an O-line. I don't care how good you think a quarterback is or what his weapons are. If he's not protected, it does not matter at all. Especially when you've got the Steelers, the Ravens, and the Browns in your division. That's six of your now 17 games every season. And all of those teams have very good defenses. The Steelers were 11-0 because of their defense. The Browns have a rising defense. And it's probably going to get better after this year's draft. The Ravens, they always have a good defense. Think about the last time the Ravens have not had a good defense. I can't because since I've been watching football, they have. So you need to protect Joe Burrow. But nevertheless, bad organizations make bad decisions. And drafting a shiny toy over protecting your quarter quarterback qualifies as a bad decision. And that's what they are going to do. And they're going to take Jamar Chase because of the LSU connection and because Joe Burrow's like, heck yeah, let me get my boy jamar chase in here that's going to be so awesome and he's not even going to have the chance to throw him the ball because he's going to be getting sacked every other play but that's what's going to happen and that's why the Bengals are never relevant because they don't make moves in free agency they don't draft very well and that's just that's how it is guys that's how it is if you're a Bengals fan i'm sorry i actually am like a low-key closet Bengals fan they're probably one of the three teams I root for after the Bucks. Obviously, I'm a diehard Bucks fan, so nobody touches them, but I love Burrow. I love Boyd. I love Higgins. There's a lot of guys that I root for in that organization. I just feel bad because that organization is going nowhere, but that's the pick at five, Jamar Chase. So now we get to the Dolphins. If Kyle Pitts was not available for the Dolphins, if the Falcons took Kyle Pitts or for some reason the Bengals took Kyle Pitts, then I think the Dolphins would probably trade back but with Kyle Pitts here, they are going to take him at six from UF. And the other possibility outside of Kyle Pitts would be Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater because their O-line could use some work. But it's young. It's developing. They spent a lot of picks on the O-line last year in the draft. So I really think that they're going to just try and give Tua that X-factor weapon because that's what he needs right now. He needs help. And Pitts is actually the generational player that deserves that title every single year. It's ridiculous. Every single year. Oh, there's three generational players in this draft. No, there's not. No, there's not. The last offensive player that I would say is generational at a skill position of wide receiver, tight end, or running back outside of Kyle Pitts this year was probably Saquon Barkley at running back. I don't think any of the wide receivers in the past few drafts, even though they've been sick draft classes, you could have tagged as generational. The last generational wide receiver in a draft was probably Julio Jones. So that's a word that should not be thrown around. But as of right now, it being attached to Kyle Pitts is not a bad thing. So that's where they're going at six. And now we have seven where the Lions are picking, but not anymore. Because I have them making a trade from seven to 15 with the Patriots. The Patriots are coming up and they're taking quarterback Mac Jones out of Alabama. The Lions and Patriots have had connections and dealings recently. They've had similar staff, like staff coming from New England to Detroit. Obviously, some of them have been fired, but I'm just showing that there is a connection there. They've had similar staff. They've had a lot of players that played for both teams. It would make sense that they're in some type of communication, have developed a relationship, a you know, mutual, I'll help you, you help me, we're in different conferences type of relationship. And the Patriots love Mac Jones. That's what reports are saying. And after this free agency, 
they might feel confident in the supporting cast that would be available for Mac Jones if they drafted him, either to play him now or to let him sit behind Cam and play for the future. So obviously, that's the pick. Patriots are coming up to 7 with the Lions trading back for Mac Jones. Plus, Belichick sucks at drafting. If you guys saw that tweet that I sent out, holy moly. He is... I mean, I know they don't ever have, like, high first-round picks, but still. Like, he's not very good at hitting on picks. And with him also getting a little bit older, and his job might not be as secure as some people think, because he's a tough guy who rubs people the wrong way. And it's always been fine because he's always winning, but since Brady's gone, he might not be winning as much. So he knows he needs to win. He's also getting older. So who cares if he trades away future draft capital? And like I said, he usually misses on those picks anyways. So he has no problem sending a future first and probably a little bit on top to come up and grab him. And why seven? Because Carolina's sitting at eight. Maybe, maybe, probably not, but maybe they would consider Mac Jones. Belichick doesn't want to take that chance. And Denver is sitting at nine. And maybe they would take Mac Jones. So with those next few picks, New England's not trying to take any chances. So they trade up. And for the Lions, this is exactly what they need to do. They have a lot of work, a lot of holes. Trading back and adding more picks is the way to go for the Lions. This would help both teams. And Mac Jones would probably have some pretty decent value there in New England with those double tight ends. And then hopefully they can add some other weapons at some point, whether in free agency in the future or whatnot. But that's what I have at seven. That's the first trade in the books. And now at eight, Panay Sewell falls right into the Panthers' lap at at eight. <laughs> I just said that twice. But out of Oregon, Panay Sewell, it, it's just a no-brainer pick. I mean, if he falls that far, I'm going to be pissed. As a Bucks fan, I'm going to be pissed if he goes to the Panthers. But with the way the board is falling, you've got five possible top 10 quarterbacks here. Then you've got Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts. There's so many good players at the top. It's not unreasonable to see Panay Sewell fall this much. So when he does, this is probably his floor. I don't think he can get past eight. So the Panthers take him, protect Sam Darnold, build for the future. That's the way to go. And now we have another trade at nine. So the Broncos, they're kind of in a weird spot. They could possibly try to trade up for a quarterback. But if the quarterbacks are gone... They're probably trying to trade down because the way that the strength of this first round looks, it's makes sense. It would make sense for them to trade back and be able to fill their needs still, but also pick up picks for either next year or later on in the other rounds this year. So I have the Chargers trading up to nine with the Broncos to grab Rayshon Slater at a Northwestern after a great free agency for the Chargers offensive line. They turned last year's greatest weakness. Their greatest weakness last year on offense or defense, in my opinion, was the offensive line. They turned that into a strength in one offseason. They added two guys in free agency that are both good, and now they finish it off with Rayshon Slater at the left tackle spot, finish the puzzle, put it together, and now budding superstar Justin Herbert is well protected and he is ready to go. They saw, think about this, the Chargers saw the destruction of their division rival Chiefs and how important that offensive line is in that Super Bowl. It's clear. It's clear. It doesn't matter how good you are if you're not protected. And Dallas, sitting at 10, would definitely take Rayshon Slater. Like, at minimum, it's a very high possibility. And the Chargers, once he gets this far down, 
and he's only a few spots in front of them, they're not trying to risk that. They're not trying to say, okay, let's hope he falls. No, they're going to go get him because if they do that, now they have a sick offensive line. It might take a year to mesh. That's fine. They have a sick offensive line. They've got a sick quarterback. They've got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. We'll see what happens after this year in free agency. But for now, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, and then they've got a superstar studded loaded defense. And they've got the coach to coach up the defense now. So that's a sick, sick deal for the Chargers. And the Broncos don't even have to move back far, and you'll see how that benefits them in a second. But now at 10, with the two biggest needs for Dallas being corner and tackle, well, both tackles are off the board, and none of the corners have gone, so they could take their pick. That's an easy pick for them. Patrick Zertan out of Alabama to the Cowboys. Now, the Giants are at 11. And they continue the Alabama picks. So we had Sertan already at 10. Then we had Mac Jones at 7. Remember, to the Patriots and in the trade-up. Now we've got Jalen Waddle here to the Giants. David Gettleman does not strike me as a guy who would be okay with Devonta Smith's 166 pounds. Like, we always talk about, oh, he loves his... I don't even remember what the word is, but or the term, but he loves his big boys. And... (laughs) Whew... Devonta is not a big boy. Neither is Jalen Waddle, but it's com- they're in completely different. Like he's in a different stratosphere in terms of how skinny and tiny he is. I weigh the same as Devonta Smith, and Devonta Smith's got two inches on me, and he's trying to play in the NFL. So I'm not talking shit. I'm not. I, I think he's a great receiver, but the concern is real, and Jalen Waddle just doesn't have those type of concerns, and he's also way faster and better after the catch. So. With Daniel Jones being good at throws of 20 yards or more downfield, and Jalen Waddle being a deep threat and also a guy that is just electric with the ball in his hands, that's the pick for the Giants at 11. Stack up that offense. Figure out if Daniel Jones, don't leave him any excuses. Figure out if he's your quarterback for the future, if he's your franchise, or if you need to move off of him. Now at 12, we have the Eagles, who continue the Alabama streak. That's four now, four Alabama players in the top 12. Devonta Smith goes to the Eagles. They need so much help. There's actually a lot of rumors. I think it's hilarious. There's so many rumors saying that the Eagles might trade up for a weapon. Come on. The Eagles are not in a position to be trading up for a weapon. Any non-quarterback, you should not be trading up for when you have as many holes as the Eagles do. Because then you're not going to be able to fill the holes in the future because you're just losing picks to try and get some elite player. And it's not worth it. But in this scenario... It works out perfect for them. They don't have to trade up. Devonta Smith falls. And just real quick, I said that you know you should not be trading up if you have a lot of holes on your team, unless it's for a quarterback. Me personally, I wouldn't even do it for a quarterback if my team is garbage because you need a filled roster around the quarterback. Otherwise, he's not going to develop or he's going to develop bad habits. That's what will be developed. And you're going to end up ruining his career. So that's why, in my opinion, you shouldn't really be trading up unless you're a team that has a shot or has a balanced roster, and that's not the Eagles. But luckily, they don't need to do that. Devonta Smith is the pick at 12. Now, at 13, we have the Broncos, because remember, the Broncos traded back from 9 to 13 to let the Chargers come up and get Rashawn Slater, and the Broncos get exactly who they would have picked in the first place at 9, and they know none of these other teams are going to take this guy. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromo. They need a linebacker. A lot of times people are mocking Micah, <coughs> excuse me, Micah Parsons. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromo is a better fit 
for the Broncos defense and what they're trying to do. They need to cover linebacker. JOK is just that. And that's a sick name, by the way. JOK. Freaking love that. But that's the pick there at 13 to the Broncos at Notre, out of Notre Dame. At 14, we have the Vikings. And they're going to take somebody out of USC. Think about the Vikings. They need interior offensive line help. And the Vikings GM attended Elijah Vera Tucker's Pro Day. There's a lot of buzz around this pairing, and it just makes too much sense to me. That's the pick there at 14 to the Vikings, Elijah Vera Tucker. Now at 15 is when it gets interesting. This is probably a pairing you have not seen. At least I've read so many mock drafts, I've never seen this pairing, and I personally like it. I didn't even try to do this. It just worked out this way, and I was like, man, if that happens, like if this if this pick happens, guys, give me a shout-out or something because I don't think I've seen this anywhere, and I really see this as a possibility, obviously. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in my predictive mock draft. Rashad Bateman at 15 to the Lions. The Lions trade back with the Patriots, and they need wide receiver help, right? A lot of times people give them Jalen Waddle or Jamar Chase if he's there in their mock at 7. Well, if they're trying to take a receiver, why not trade back if you have the opportunity to do so, which in this case they did, and grab Rashad Bateman or a Terrace Marshall or just another receiver. It's a deep receiver class. Get some more assets in terms of picks. And that's what they did here. Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay. These are two wide receivers that dominate at the catch point, and both are gone. That's what they need to add. Bateman does exactly that, and he's also got good run, good route running to pair with it. He's got reliable hands. Remember, my NFL comparison for him was Chris Godwin. That's the perfect type of receiver that Detroit needs right now. Rashad Bateman is the pick at 15. To finish out the first half of the first round, we have the Cardinals, and it's a very tough spot here for Arizona between Caleb Farley, J.C. Horn, Micah Parsons, but cornerback is the biggest need. And with Caleb Farley's medical concerns, I think J.C. Horn is the pick. He also had great athletic testing, so that doesn't really hurt his case at all. It makes it easier for them to take him over Caleb Farley because he has a very big ceiling. So that's the first 16 picks, and we'll be right back after this. What's up, divers? Do you guys enjoy a good workout like me? Well, guess what? I've got the perfect nutrition for you, and that is Built Bar. Go check out BuiltBar.com. Guys, I have tried every single flavor to this point. I've got some rankings for you. Here are my top five favorite flavors that are in the 18-pack, their standard rotation, not any holiday or special event items. My favorite is banana bread, followed very closely by coconut. I really like the peanut butter. That is my third favorite. Toffee almond. Ooh, that's a nice one. And cookies and cream. Those are the top five flavors if you guys want to try them out. If you haven't, why not? Why have you not tried these out yet? These are amazing. I have them after every single workout paired with, actually, their vitamin packs that give you 100% of your daily vitamins. Guys, I'm not even eating vegetables and fruits anymore. I don't need to. I'm getting all of my vitamins and then some. In a pack that comes out to less than a dollar a day. Are you kidding me? You're spending more than that on fruits and vegetables. Plus, it takes time to eat that. I'm somebody who thinks time is money. So, I just like to mix that stuff into my water. Check out Built Bar. Use my code DEEPDIVE to save 10% off. And get the nutrition side of working out. Add it in to the hard work you put in the gym. And get max results. Alright guys, welcome back. And we're starting off with the Raiders at 17. 
This pick should get ran to the podium, and I say should. I still think it will, but I say should because the Raiders have made some very questionable draft decisions. <clears throat> Cleland Farrell at four. But anyways, they gutted, for whatever reason, their very good offensive line, making it their biggest need now. And Christian Derisaw being on the board for them at 17 is a dream come true. They should run that to the podium. That's the pick out of Virginia Tech. And now we go to 18 for the Dolphins' second pick of the first round. And they are, they cannot believe what the board looks like right now. Because they've got some needs on the defensive side of the ball. And yes, they're trying to stack weapons for Tua, but they already did so with a generational talent, generational talent in Kyle Pitts. So they're looking at the defense now, and they see Micah Parsons on the board. Ridiculous. They see Quiddy Pay on the board. Most people's top edge rusher. No edge rusher has been taken yet. Ridiculous. Not saying that like I'm ridiculous for having it fall this way or that if it does happen, it's ridiculous. It's just weird because we all know edge rushers are usually top five picks, top ten picks. Every draft has one of those guys. This one doesn't. So it's just really weird. And it's a very offensive heavy first round. Because, I mean, actually, if we go back and look at it, we've got J.C. Horn, J.O.K., and Patrick Sartan, and that's it. Three guys going out of the first 16 that are on defense. Very weird um, draft, but hey, we're here for it. It's a sick draft class on offense. We love it. So going back to the Dolphins, if they feel good about Micah Parsons off the field concerns, he's a safer prospect in terms of on the field than Quiddy Pay is. That's because if Quiddy Pay was a, a safe prospect, as an edge rusher, then he would be going in the top 10, but that's not the case. If you have edge rushers dropping to the back of the first round, usually those edge rushers actually have a very high miss rate. Most of those guys don't pan out in the NFL because the ones that do are usually getting picked way higher. So Micah Parsons, in terms of on-field only, is a way safer prospect. He can make just as good of an impact for Miami. So I think with both spots being a need, they're going to go with Micah Parsons. As long as they are okay with his off-field concerns, they probably will be, especially at the value of 18 when a lot of people regard him as a top 10 player in terms of ability on the field. Now at 19, we got another defensive player. Washington is looking at this once again. It's a nice little stretch here uh, because the Raiders were surprised Derisaw was there and they're happy about it. The Dolphins were surprised Micah Parsons was there. They're happy about it. And now... The Washington football team is seeing Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech on the board still. And boy, did this defense just get way scarier because that's who I think they would pick. You add Caleb Farley to fill the cornerback need that they had. And corner and quarterbacks will have nightmares, nightmares before playing Washington. Think about what the saying is, right? A good D-line covers for bad corners. If you have a good D-line, bad corners aren't going to kill you because... As long as they can cover for one or two seconds, your really good D-line is going to get to the quarterback. The inverse of that is, hey, if you have really good cornerbacks, it allows the defensive line that might not be great to get more time to get to the quarterback because instead of only being able to cover for one or two seconds like bad corners, good corners can cover for three, maybe four seconds and give that D-line a chance to get home. Now imagine what it's like to have both. Good corners at every level. And an amazing, amazing D-line with De'Aaron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Chase Young, and Montez Sweat. 
holy crap. You add Caleb Farley across from William Jackson, that is just stupid, stupid good. So if that was available to them, and it's very possible that it is, because Farley's probably going to drop because of his medical concerns, Washington is going to capitalize on that. Now we have the Bears at 20. I think they're going to take offensive tackle Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, and it's very simple. The Bears need protection for a quarterback before they bring in a quarterback. Because if they bring in a quarterback in a horrible offense and no surrounding talent, then guess what? You're going to have another failed quarterback situation. If Jenkins is there, make the pick. Don't overthink it. Now, at 21, we have the Colts. I think they're going to take one of the edge rushers off the board because we still have not had one go. And they love it. Now, before I address who I think they're going to take with how the board has fallen, I will say it's very possible that they want to add to their wide receiver core because Michael Pittman's pretty much all they have in terms of youth. Paris Campbell's always hurt. And then the other option would be offensive line because both of those things are going to be needed to resurrect Carson Wentz. But they can do both of those things later, wide receiver and offensive line, They could do both of those later in this draft class because both positions are super deep. So I think they go with the edge rusher, whoever they like, and my guess is Quiddy Pay. I've seen some connections in articles and stuff saying that they like Quiddy Pay. He's a good fit for the Colts. Darisaw, if Darisaw falls to them, they're probably going to take him, but obviously that's not the case. The Raiders took him at 17. So Quiddy Pay, the edge rusher, at 21 goes to the Colts. Now at 22, ugh. I vomit just thinking about this guy getting picked this high. Like, ugh. This is the difference between me running a mock draft of what I would do right here. This is the epitome of it and what I think will happen. I told you the Titans are one of those teams that for some reason, all the people that pump out mock drafts are super accurate at predicting. Corey Davis was a super hot mocked player to the Titans and they took him. Adoree Jackson, I think that was the same year, was also a super hotly uh, mock-drafted player to that to, to them. So was the tackle that they took. I think it's his name's Isaiah Wilson that just, like, busted. And then a lot of people thought that's where they were going. Then uh, so was the defensive lineman and the linebacker. All of the guys that they've taken in the past five years have been guys that were the most common or among the most common Mox players. Who is it now that you guys know I am lower on compared to others? It's Elijah Moore. All of a sudden, a huge wave just came through the media. New mock draft comes out. Scroll down to 22. Elijah Moore, Titans. New mock draft comes out two days later. Scroll down to 22. Elijah Moore, Titans. On and on and on and on. And so I'm going to hop on that train because it does make sense. It's not just because everyone else is doing it. But it's because the Titans are usually one of the teams that people mock accurately every year. And because it makes sense, Elijah Moore is from Ole Miss. So is A.J. Brown. And apparently, A.J. Brown is backing him right now and saying, Guys, grab Elijah Moore. I know we need receiver help. He's a really good receiver. And before you guys think I hate Elijah Moore, look, is he a good player? Yeah. Is he a first-round player? Hell no. No, no, no. I know a lot of people, people close to me, disagree. And they think he's really good. I don't really understand why everyone thinks he's some guy with enormous upside. He's not physically, 
He's not like a, a physical specimen. He's not really elite at anything that I think will translate super well. His probably best trait is winning 50-50 balls and like having crazy catches, but that's going to be difficult at his size in, against NFL competition. And he played for, uh, man, it's just like, come on. I, I don't understand the love for Elijah Moore. Most people have him as their like fifth best or sixth best, re- best receiver. I think that's way too high. He is not even in my top 10. So this is one of those guys that you can remember and be like, all right, if Elijah Moore is bad, we'll give deep dive some credit. We'll give Brandon some credit. And if he's good, then you guys are probably going to be tweeting at me saying, oh, look, 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 you were so wrong about this guy, which is fine. I mean, that's part of the game, right? But Elijah Moore, 22 to the Titans. I would take so many receivers over him, but I think that that's where they would be leaning. And that's going to be the pick. Now at 23, we have the Jets. I so badly want to give them Alex Leatherwood. So once again, another battle between what I would do, what I want to do, and what I think is going to happen. I want to give them Alex Leatherwood to lock down both tackle spots with Mekhi Becton for whatever rookie quarterback that they draft. Probably Zach Wilson, but maybe they'll make the right decision and take Justin Fields. But that's probably not the case. They're probably not going to take Leatherwood. Robert Saul is a defensive guy, so I expect this pick to follow suit. Cornerback is also a big need, so I think they're going to take Greg Newsom out of Northwestern. Now, at 24, we have the Steelers. Something was recently pointed out to me through, I think it was a podcast, somebody else's podcast that I was listening to. I'm always just consuming information, um, as I'm sure most of you guys are as well, about the, the Steelers and Najee Harris. I was someone who was not on board with them taking Najee Harris. I thought it would be cool. Najee Harris is a great running back. I thought it would be cool for fantasy, but I didn't really understand how it would make that much sense for the Steelers because when I look at that team, I see a team that is going to need a quarterback next year. I see a team that probably doesn't want to waste a pick on a running back if he's not going to help them win a Super Bowl. And when I look at that team and how Big Ben's been performing, I don't see a way initially. I didn't see a way that adding a running back is going to solve all their problems because Big Ben's arm is the problem, right? And they lost a few guys on the offensive line. Not a few, um, but one or two. And I just, I wasn't about it. But then, as someone explained, I I really wish I remembered his name. Uh, Maybe I'll put it in the info on the episode if I can go back and find it. But they were talking about how when the Steelers were 11-0 or 12-0, whatever it was, when they were undefeated, How did they get there? They had a good rushing attack. They had a lower pass volume offense, and they kept their defense fresh when they were undefeated. All those three things happened. As their run game got worse, injuries started to pile up in the running back back room, and Big Ben started throwing the ball 100 times a game. They made more mistakes, and the defense was put in worse situations, and then their team just sucked as a whole. Big Ben was putting too much on his arm. They weren't running it enough. They weren't running efficiently enough. And the defense was getting on the field a lot more. So that's how Najee Harris can actually solve so many problems because he's so good that he can perform even if they are missing a couple guys on the O-line. He is a great receiver as well. Our comp or my comp for him is Le'Veon Bell. I said R because I was going to say our combat deep dive, but my, my comp for him is Le'Veon Bell, and it's because he's a great receiver. He shows some similar moves in the rush game, 
and he's got a similar build. Le'Veon Bell was a bigger guy at running back, but still pretty nimble as Najee Harris is. So it makes sense for him to go to the Steelers because he'll, first off, he'll be great for fantasy, but that's not really the focus of this podcast today. And he will help take the pressure off Big Ben. All the dump offs to Deontay Johnson and all this stuff, that was like extending the run game because the run game got really bad and really beat up. They won't have to do that anymore. So I think that will be very helpful. Keep their defense strong as well. The only chance the Steelers have of being successful is getting back to the days of the steel curtain and hard-hitting football. So that's the best way to do it is by taking Najee Harris at 24. Now at 25, we have the Jaguars. This is their second pick after taking Trevor Lawrence. And I actually think they will do what I would have done for the Jets and take offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood. After you take Trevor Lawrence, you have to make sure he's protected. Leatherwood helps do just that. Jacksonville has never had a great quarterback, and they cannot mess this up with Trevor Lawrence. If they mess this up, the fan base, the organization, will never recover. The NFL is a reactionary league. I said this earlier. After the Super Bowl, teams will be prioritizing protection. Think about it. If Mahomes with Kelsey, Tyreek, and Andy Reid could not win without good protection, then nobody can win without good protection. And by the way, Alex Leatherwood, Alabama, is this the sixth Alabama player off the board? It is, but who's counting? But that's insane. Six players in the top 25, and it's very possible that this is how it falls because we just had Najee Harris right before him, and so we got another two back-to-back. Now, at 26, we have the Browns, and I think their priority is securing an elite pass-rush combo. It's mad tempting, and they can't help themselves. Adding a pass rusher with Miles Garrett, and they also have Clowney in the building now. Oh yeah, baby. And who is that pass rusher? Jalen Phillips. Jalen Phillips, put him next to Miles Garrett and just destroy, destroy offensive lines. And you also have Clowney for, you know, however long Clowney is good. We'll see about that. Now at 27, we have Ravens picking, and it's the first of two picks I think in the first one, they're going to try, because when you have two picks that are close, you want to take the person that's less likely to fall first, obviously. So I think they're going to take wide receiver Terrace Marshall out of LSU. Why? Think about who's picking after them. The Saints. What's one of their biggest needs? Wide receiver. Then the Packers. What's one of their biggest needs? Wide receiver. So they take the wide receiver first. Terrace Marshall's the pick. They want to help Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is is not the most accurate guy out there anymore. He's got a big body. He's a 50-50 stud. And that's that's what Marshall is. You know, that's what that's what they need for Lamar. Also, they have two first round picks. So if they don't grab a receiver in the first, that would be I would be very surprised. And I actually called Nate once I got to this point in the draft. I already was thinking about putting Terrace Marshall. He confirmed that for me. And then he helped me come up with who is most likely for their second pick, which we'll get to. Now, after Terrace Marshall goes off the board at 27 to the Ravens, we have the Saints. This is a super tough pick for me because the Saints actually have more holes, I think, than people realize. They could go corner. They could go wide receiver. They could even go offensive line if they wanted. They could go edge if they wanted. But linebackers also a need. And when you look at the cornerbacks that are left available, it's hard to see them reaching for a corner, so I eliminated corner. Wide receiver is a big need, and there are some really good wide receivers on the board right now. But 
when they look at the wide receiver position, they think this is a deep class. So they're probably going to probably going to wait to see who falls to them later. There's also not any crazy offensive linemen on the board at this point. So I don't think they go that direction. And the assistant GM was scouting a linebacker, Zaven Collins. So that helps my confidence a bit here with him being the person I project them to take at 28. Zaven Collins, linebacker, super physically imposing guy out of Tulsa. Now at 29, we have the Packers. If this guy is not the one who they pick, I will be disappointed in the organization. Who is it? Rondale Moore. Rondale Moore, add him to Devontae Adams. You could put Moore in the slot, just get the ball in his hands, let him do work. And you guys know I love Kadarius Toney. So if it's not Rondale Moore, Kadarius Toney, just as good in my opinion. Now, if it's not one of those guys, it should be an offensive tackle, maybe a corner, but with, once again, like I was what I just said with the Saints. With the corners that are off the board at this point, it's probably a reach to grab like an Asante Samuel or somebody in that nature. So I wouldn't go there, and I don't think they will either. They know how much heat they took last year by missing out on receivers, and I don't think they're trying to feel that heat again. Because if they exit the first two rounds this year without a receiver, the fan base will lose their shit. By the way, Twitter trolling will be at an all-time high, and I'm here for it. I, give me the popcorn, let me watch. That is That will be amazing. But outside of the, the Twitter entertainment, realistically... The Packers know that Rodgers needs help. I'm sure he's telling them he needs help. He's starting to get fed up with some of the things that they've been doing decision-making-wise. So if they respect him at all, they're probably going to go with a receiver. And that's why I have them taking Rondell Moore at 29. Now, originally we had the Bills here picking at 30, but I think a trade is going to happen. I have the Jaguars trading up from the first pick in the second round trading up three spots to pick at 30 in the first round. Why? Because they want that fifth-year option on who? Tight end Pat Fryermuth out of Penn State. The Jaguars now round out their offense for Trevor Lawrence by trading up a few spots just to grab him, get the extra year on his deal, because tight ends take a couple years to develop and become great. So that extra year, that option is very helpful for them. He can also help block and serve as a boost to the offensive line. This offense is a dream for Trevor Lawrence if this is how the draft falls. Sheesh! Trevor Lawrence then gets Alex Leatherwood to help protect on the offensive line, and then he gets Pat Fryermuth to pair with LaVisca Chenault, Marvin Jones, and DJ Chark, and James Robinson behind him. That is a sick offense. That would be amazing, and that would be a win-win-win. I said three wins. That's an Office reference. If you guys don't watch Office, I'm very disappointed in you. But it's a win for the Jaguars. This trade is a win for the Jaguars because they get the fifth-year option. This uh, trade is a win for the Bills because they pick up a fourth-rounder for moving back a few spots. And there was a few guys they liked, so they're not missing out on anyone, and they're just getting an extra pick. And it's a win for Trevor Lawrence and his fantasy owners. So it's a win-win-win right there at 30. Jaguars coming up to grab Pat Frymuth. And by the way, if the Jaguars don't trade up, but they get him as the first pick in the second round, you guys should still count this as a, a win for me because, once again, we care about the player and team match, right? Not necessarily where it was. Now, at 31, we have the Ravens picking, and this is what Nate was helping me with. They need some interior offensive line help. Yes, they just lost Orlando Brown, who is a tackle, but 
they have some guys in the building that they could try and convert to tackle or they could pick up a tackle later on in the draft. Right now, they're taking interior offensive lineman Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma, specifically need a center, and like I said, they can plug the tackle in a multitude of ways. So that's where they're, where I have the Ravens going at 31. And lastly, the Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, baby. At 32, they take safety, my guy, Travon Merrick at a TCU. You add this dude to Antoine Winfield, and that young secondary immediately makes the Bucs team better, as well as long-term. This is a win-now move and a build-for-the-future move. And this is also the reincarnation of the Legion of Boom. You've got Carlton Davis, top 10 corner, easy in the NFL right now. You've got Sean Murphy Bunting, comes in clutch at the most needed times as a second corner. Then you've got Jamel Dean, fast, tall, physical corner, who does pretty well. And then you've got Antoine Winfield and Trevon Merrig. Whoo, baby. That's, that's game over right there. That's what that is. But that's what I have going. So let's go over this. Real quick, give you guys a recap so you can remember and reference this. I'm also going to post this after the podcast is out a few days so I don't spoil it for people before they listen. After a few days, I'm going to post an easy screenshot from the Draft Network mock draft. That's the simulation that I used. Or not simulation. That's the uh, platform I used to do the draft. So you guys will see that as well. But in the 2021 NFL mock draft, The Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock, Trevor Lawrence. The New York Jets are on the clock, Zach Wilson. Then the 49ers take Justin Fields. The Falcons take Trey Lance. The Bengals, unfortunately, ignore offensive line and take Jamar Chase. The Dolphins take Kyle Pitts. The Patriots trade up to seven with the Lions and take Mac Jones. Panay Sewell falls to the Panthers at eight. The Chargers trade up to nine with the Broncos and take Rashawn Slater. Patrick Sertan goes at 10 to the Cowboys. The Giants take Jalen Waddell. The Eagles take Devonta Smith. The Broncos, after trading back, take Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, a.k.a. J-O-K. At 14, Elijah Vera Tucker goes to the Vikings. The Lions, after trading back to 15 with the Patriots, take Rashad Bateman. J.C. Horn goes to the Cardinals at 16. Christian Derisaw goes to the Raiders. Micah Parsons falls to 18 to the Dolphins. They love it. Caleb Farley makes the Washington defense super, super scary as if it wasn't scary enough at 19. Tevin Jenkins goes to the Bears. Quiddy Pay to the Colts. The Titans make a huge mistake drafting Elijah Moore way too high at 22. Greg Newsom goes to the Jets at 23. The Steelers take Najee Harris. Alex Leatherwood goes to the Jaguars, help protect T-Law. Jalen Phillips goes to the Browns. Terrace Marshall goes to the Ravens at 27 with their first pick. Zayvon Collins goes to the Saints. Rondell Moore to the Packers. Then the Jaguars trade up with the Bills to 30, grab tight end Pat Fryermuth. Creed Humphrey goes at 31 to the Ravens with their second pick, help shore up that offensive line. And lastly, the Super Bowl winning Buccaneers finish out their secondary with safety Trevon Merrig. That is your 2021 NFL Draft. After I get every single one of these picks right on draft day, um, I expect you guys to uh, 
shout me out everywhere because there's no way that this is not 100% accurate. I already know it in my bones. I am not getting any of these wrong. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I probably am going to get like three or four of these right because that's usually how it goes. <laughs> it's usually pretty tough for anyone to get more than, like I said, five to seven. Um, if I get seven, I'll be pretty, pretty happy. Pretty happy. I, I think Trevor Lawrence is definitely going to be right. Zach Wilson, I mean, it's probably going to be right. But if it's not, everyone's going to get that wrong because I don't see anybody putting Justin Fields at two. The big, the big uh, money makers for me are going to be Mac Jones to the Patriots. That's one that will be uh, pretty different from most mock drafts. Panay Sewell to the Panthers, Slater to the Chargers. Th those are some unique ones. Same with Rashad Bateman to the Lions. If that one happens, guys, like I was telling you, woo! Let me get a shout out. Let me get a shout out. But hope you guys have a good one. Hope you guys appreciated the content it took a while to put this one together Just trying to find as many uh connections as i possibly could and thanks for everything thanks for listening drop a rating drop a review tell your boys or girls to listen to the podcast check it out have a good one let's hope this nfl draft is nothing but amazing peace